You're listening to a Chirp Radio podcast. For more interviews and stories, visit chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Two Americas for one me. Now what you think they making safety a priority? Never where my majority lives. That is, if they really ever get to live for real. The cops hunting me this season like it's time to grill. Just a friendly pad down with intent to kill. A little pressure on your neck so you'll admit the guilt of living and breathing. Put the stop to that by squeezing. Slave catchers run amok fraternity of chosen heathens. Ponder. An organization built to catch me, to trap me by any means deemed necessary, also wants my trust, empathy, and to humanize their right to continued existence. Even as they murder me for fear, stay silent when I scream. They demand. This is Amanda with Chirp Radio, here with Mikel DeVille. Michael DeVille. So you're from Chicago, and I've seen that you are a rapper, poet, and actor. So that's huge. Um, tell me about. Um, where you came from in Chicago and how it's influenced your art. Yeah, I grew up on the west side of Chicago in the Austin area. Um, I grew up, I, it, it's, I don't know, it, it, feel, it influenced my art in lots of different ways. Uh, I think environment has a really big, um, you know, it, it's, it's just, it, 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 sorry to put it in the words, I think environment along with heredity, along like with who you come from, your your culture in general, it bleeds out into the environment. And the environment also like kinda like bleeds into you. And because of like sociopolitical like structures, uh, because of the way people like carry themselves that way or whatever, I think it, it, it became my cadence. It became um, the stories that I wanted to tell. It became the language that I try to speak and express in like my rhymes and my storytelling. I try to fuse a lot of um, storytelling and poetry inside of my raps. So they're not necessarily uh, party songs or anything like that. They're more uh, harkening back to like old school rap where that was the thing. It was a political platform. It was a way to kind of like observe uh, what it was like to kind of grow up in a periphery of the city. But you, you, you can't tell that if you're like in the community, you know what I mean? Like you you are the king of the roost or you, you are just observant like people with pride who come up through like really really hard times so like lots of stories kind of come out of that that's where i get my heart from try to control the perception that i'm threatening and mass produce media blackout of the coverage trying to falsify your truth forming a noose and only pulling tighter can't speak if i can't breathe now this protest starting to look more like a riot and you wonder why we won't be silenced any longer by your lullabies we want justice for the innocents that died it's a simple question you should answer not a battle cry not a battle cry Not a battle cry. I just kind of get this feeling that, you know, women have been a, an influence on your music. Um, if that's true, uh, tell me about it. And if it's not true, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, most definitely women are everything to me. Women, every, every strong figure in my life has been a woman. Every authority figure, every... Um, and, and not just familial, not just like my mom or my sister, um, and not just women that I was seeing or anything like that. Like my, my best friends, my, my biggest influences have always, always been women, have always taught me about vulnerability, taught me about masculinity, taught me about how I should carry myself and how I shouldn't, taught me to take care of myself uh, in times where I was, that wasn't even self-care, wasn't even thought of, you know? I think growing up as a young black male in this city, in this country, uh, in the time period in which I did, it's almost a futility sometimes when you think about 
life, when you think about your possibilities, when you think about what options you have in order to lead a successful life, and whether that uh, success means that you have to assimilate into certain, cult certain cultures and, and do away with uh, certain things that made you you. Um, that's really big in a, in, a, in a prevalent force, I think, in male culture. And problems arise out of that. Not to like kind of scapegoat guys or anything like that, but like problems do arise in communities where their fathers are, are locked up at mass rates, where there are no, I, I had a father in the house, but he was, you know, not, uh, he was a great dad, but a terrible husband, you know what I mean? And I speak on that in my music. I speak very openly about that. Um, so in one sense, I felt like royalty because everybody was like, well, you at least you got a dad in the house. Um, but when I go there, he was mad abusive. You know, he's abusive mm -hmm. to my mom and abusive to me. That gave me a really kind of like delicate kind of sense of how I approach myself and my own masculinity and how I even approach women. So I see, I see endless well of like inspiration and strength in women, in men, I think my job as a man is to add to the conversation that can be hopeful and helpful to like boosting up not only the women in our culture, but like boosting our self-esteem self about that. I don't see a lot of rap sometimes, you know, I think there it exists, Tupac used to sing, you know what I mean, like that. Um, we're very much for women and, and very much like kind of trying to build the system up but then it was also an even-handed amount even more so of like misogyny and things that were so problematic this art form alone you have to look away from this really problematic stuff to like kind of assess out the uh compliment or the the lesson about how women have raised us can't you see can't you see that i'm down on my knees begging you to help young men please Humbling myself for your energy Are you even there? Can you hear me? Am I talking to the self for the entropy? It was oh, supercomputers yeah. super yeah. in our pockets. Yeah, yeah um, I really that, that's really interesting that you say that. Um, can you kind of touch on that and how is that? How do you feel like it's, I guess, hurting our hurting like, the youth? Well, you know, I don't. It's hard for me to judge. I have like a nine-year-old, like half brother. You know, and he 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 drinks in information from. Whereas I used to have to like blow in cartridges and plug in control and have people come over and bring their controllers. He can play with anybody worldwide on his Xbox, you know. Having that power can make you either seek and search out as much knowledge as possible or it can make you completely and utterly like complacent. And I've watched both. I've seen it the, where I work from who I am to friends and stuff, how you even market your music these days and how you have to constantly stay relevant. You gotta be tweeting, you gotta be dropping songs, you gotta be like making videos, you gotta be doing it all yourself, you gotta fund it. Mm -hmm. um, all, all of this stuff, um, I just know it makes me hype like super erratic a lot of the times. Yeah. Scheduling and reading and moving, ar um, moving around and being stuck in, in my phone most of the time, I think that can kind of contribute to attention deficit, depression, right. um, and constantly feeling like you gotta be making statuses in order to be seen and heard. It takes away from creation. It takes away from like putting those things away. Not saying we don't got self-will and we can't do that, but we, we live in a weird time. So it's like adjusting to that as young people as it's happening and happening even faster. Like now my little brother has way more advanced technology than I was, I'm even used to. And think about, let alone 
30 years, but five years from now, what that may look like and how we may be even talking on these things. And so even when I go in the studio, I'm like writing this new album and I only write it on paper, even though it takes me a hundred takes to read my own handwriting because I'm constantly scratching out and I can easily type it. It's a very physical knowledge of like doing it yourself, like DIY culture. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm all about DIY culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my control still in full supply. We wash, rinse, and come on, divide, repeat. You started Dojo, which was a DIY spot in Pilsen. Um, I actually am from Pilsen, and I have no idea about this, <laughs> yes. and I'm so ashamed. That's and the but, whole point, man. <laughs> but um, so yeah, tell me about. Uh, creating it and yeah. um, how it became your platform and everything. I was an actor for 10 years or almost, oof, even longer. I went to school for it. I got my uh, degree in it, my BFA. Me and a couple of other friends from acting, we just kind of got like tired of waiting for people to tell us we weren't enough. You know, get $2,000 or $3,000 dangled in your face and you get a couple of callbacks and then you don't get it. And then you're back to square one and you constantly gotta rearrange your life that way. We, we kinda got put on that track, or at least that was me. Um, I was like kinda fed up with that. I wanted to connect folk and I wanted to see all kinds of art all in one space. And so I started to like frequent the DIY scene here in Chicago for about like good two years before I was invited into the dojo currently to help created. So I was really heavily like kind of going around in the punk scene and going around in the shoegaze rock scene and all, the, all of these different scenes and realizing that there was a hole that wasn't being filled. Number one, DIY culture is was based in loyalty and I love that. I love that people would travel in the, in the snow to see their favorite band and be there. I, I also didn't see a lot of people that looked like me there. I didn't, I didn't hear a lot of stories that kind of like was native to the story that I'm able to speak about so openly now growing up on the west side of Chicago. Like people didn't even know that's where I was from. Not like I had to assimilate, it's just like they never even walked up to you. You didn't know whose house you were in most of the time. Um, like little thing, I started taking notes about what, if I had a venue, what would it be? What would be different, you know? And so when we moved down to Pilsen, it felt like home again. Like Pilsen is like, like the West Side in many ways, is people is love there, is family there, is neighborhood, is people supporting the businesses there. So uh, we made sure the board of the dojo was made up of um, black and brown and uh, you know women and people who identify as queer. Um, just this board of like just multicultural like artists, um, and we all had different bases to pull from. So we have this one installation room that the the painters in the front room. Downstairs it'd be for the actor, um, the the poets and the bands. Outside it'd be like live art and spray painting. And we do this like every week, like maybe twice or three times a week. We wanted people to be seen by each other. The painters need to be seen by the the rappers. The rappers need to be where the folk artists are. The folk artists need to be around uh, the dancers. And we all wanted to make that community with the idea that if we make it cool, if we think it's good and we support each other, the, the writers in this scene and the journalists and the zine makers and the button makers and all this stuff start to make this self-sustaining kind of, not only economy, but support system. And we do it with accountability and politeness and understanding that this is somebody's home. It flourished, that idea was contagious, you know? Um, not like we originated that idea at all. There's people in Pilsen, 
uh, people all over the city doing that kind of thing, specifically in Pilsen. Yeah, it brought a level of kind of like just inclusivity into DIY a bit. Mm -hmm. I think we were one of the first venues who looked like that in a while. Um, out of the handful of venues that had that was either ran by like all women or environmentally conscious venues or you know what I mean um, venues of color because even though we were venues of color we were still like we do stuff for everybody you know we mix it all up mix the bills up throw a folk artist on there with a rapper with a uh, harp player and somebody's live painting on the side you know what I mean so um, that was necessary for a year and a half to really explore what that looked like, explore it, like helping people out coming in from out of town and need a, need a place to like play and, and a new audience. And, you know, we, we did that and I, you know, I felt very, 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 very fulfilled doing that. But it kind of reached a point where I was like, I built the stage, I let everybody play on the stage, now I kind of want to play on the stage. Believe in yourself, believe in your wealth. Power exists in you. You can find this and other interviews at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Chirp Radio, hear what's next.